wisdom knew that if they expect you to come on a Friday night, a Friday night, Fridays are supposed to be for relaxing and romance, that if you're going to come to a lecture on parenting on a Friday night, they should bring in a parenting expert. So I know I've known many of you for many years, but um, maybe you don't know my credentials. And I don't want to brag or boast, but I thought it would be good to share with you exactly how I am a parenting expert. Uh, to start off, I do have a master's degree in theology. Um, yeah, Bill? Well, in and of itself, that doesn't make me an expert. It's just part of the bigger picture. It's just, I'm, I'm just sharing my resume a little bit. Um, I served in the Air Force for seven years. I flew 436 missions around the world, and some of those missions were top secret, and some of those missions were even dangerous. Yep, Bill. Same thing for the video. Uh, how's that make you an expert in parenting? <laughs> well, um, in and of itself, it doesn't, Bill. It's just we're looking at the big picture. I do have three kids. And um, none of my kids have been to jail, and uh, none of them have been kicked out of college. So is that what makes you an expert in parenting, that you're a dad? Well, no, because as Mark Bertram is kind of fond of saying, you don't get your parenting report card until your kids are in their late 20s and they're out of the house, and, and you see what kind of decisions they make. And I, I can't live this lie anymore. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a parenting expert. I, I, oh. It feels good just to say that I was living a lie for the last five minutes. Um, <laughs> I'm not a parenting expert, but you don't need a parenting expert because this isn't a lecture on parenting. This is a family forum. A forum is a place where you can exchange ideas. So yeah, I'll share some ideas with you, uh, but then we have three couples that, um, they should belong downstairs if you ask me, but they agreed. <laughs> They agreed to stay up here, and uh, not that they're experts either, uh, but they're better than I am, and they're going to answer really specific questions. We want to call it, we call it um, Stump the Bilijeskis, the Jengdals, and the Beckers. Um, so if you have those kind of questions, don't ask me. Bill, please, no more questions. The title of my little sharing is uh, Trophies, Helicopters, and Silly Putty. Is there anyone here that's never played with Silly Putty? I'm glad, so you've all played with it. I don't even know if they still make it. I'm guessing there's an app for it now. But silly, I always loved Silly Putty as a kid. Um, it does a lot of cool things. The problem is you only get 0.48 of an ounce, less than half an ounce of Silly Putty. So if you remember when you were trying to copy the comics, you really had to stretch it out. I always wondered, what would it be like if I had 10 of these? What if I had 100 of these? What if I had over 500 pieces of Silly Putty? What would that look like? Well, here's what it would look like. 500 pieces of Silly Putty. Um, I love Silly Putty. <laughs> what I like about Silly Putty, as, as much as it's fun, hold on a second, I just gotta get it in a good position for you. <laughs> the history of Silly Putty is fascinating. Early 1940s, Japan, invaded many of the rubber-producing countries in Asia. This is at the beginning of World War II. And the Allies, they needed rubber for the war, right? I mean, you have thousands of Jeeps that need tires. 
But there's a lot more things that need rubber than just Jeeps. Do you know that a Sherman tank, a World War II tank, had over a half a ton of rubber in its parts? That's one tank that's a thousand pounds of rubber. A, a battleship, 20,000 parts made out of rubber. Think about all the gas masks. Think about all the airplane parts so the Allies were nervous. We, we can't buy rubber from Asia because Japan is, oh, it's a big mess. So they, they contacted all of the chemical companies and said, we need you to develop a synthetic rubber. Silly Putty is one of the failed attempts at a synthetic rubber. And it's the reason that it failed that it makes a perfect object lesson for tonight. Uh, Silly Putty, in layman's terms, is a liquid solid or a solid liquid. Um, if you watch this over the course of the next three hours that I'm speaking, <laughs> you're going to see, yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit sick. That's why I'm cutting it down to three hours instead of four. But, um, if you just watch this, it's going to just sag, and if we left it overnight, tomorrow morning, you come back and there will be a puddle. Yes, a solid liquid puddle or a liquid solid puddle. I don't know which one, but it's going to be a puddle. And you can't imagine making a Jeep tire out of this. So the guy that developed it just threw it on his shelf at work. Well, that one didn't work. One of his coworkers came by for a meeting. He saw this stuff, and he started playing with it. He said, what are you going to do with this? He said, I don't know. Well, can I just take it home and give it to my kids? A couple years later, it found its way into a toy company, and we have... Silly putty. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a parenting expert, but I do have a, a somewhat unique pers perspective. For the last 20 years, I helped raise over 1,000 young adults. You call them netters. Uh, and another part of my position at NET is I'm the parent contact. When a parent has questions, comments, or complaints, or more questions, or more comments, or more complaints, uh, I'm the one that they call. And for years, I would go into my weekly meeting with Mark and say, Mark, you won't believe what this parent wants. Well, for the last couple years, I stopped saying, you're not going to believe because they just, I don't think there's any more surprises out there. I'm going to talk, uh, well, if you want to hear about parenting techniques and parenting approaches and parenting styles, you can Google it. Uh, that's stuff for the parenting experts, and I'm not one of them. I just want to share about one approach to parenthood that we see a lot at NET. It has two sides to it, the trophy side and the helicopter side. Both sides are different, but the coin is the same, and that is their child-centered approaches. That the child is the center of our family, the child is the center of the universe, and everything revolves around the child. Uh, the, the child uh, should make the decisions because, well, the logic goes like this. Do you guys want an outline? You don't really want an outline, do you? But I'll give you one just because that way I feel more official and you feel something. Can you pass those out on that side? Oh. That side, okay. If you can just pick those up off the floor, we do not want to leave a mess. So we're going to start by talking about the trophy parents. And the idea is this, if, if we want our children to be self-directed adults, then we train them by letting them be self-directed children. We don't want to squelch their initiative. We don't want to damage their confidence by telling them what to do, so let them decide. Uh, if we want children to feel good about themselves, we should praise them for their accomplishments. Wait. 
Let's not just praise them for their accomplishments. Let's praise them for their effort. I mean, maybe they didn't win the first prize, um, but, but they were on the team and they, they, they made a good effort. Well, let's, just, let's not praise just their effort. Let's just praise their initiative. They joined the team in the first place, even if they sat on the bench the whole game. They were on the team, right? Well, well let's not just praise that. Let's, let's just praise their initiative for joining the team, even if they didn't have any effort. Well, Maybe they didn't join the team. I signed them up for the team. Let's just praise them. They wore the uniform. Shouldn't they get a trophy for wearing the uniform? Oh, they forgot to wear the uniform today. Well, let's praise them for being out on the field. That's good, isn't it? Well, oh, they weren't really on the field. They kind of wandered off. They were picking flowers during the whole game, um, holding hands with someone while they were doing it. It was just, they're six years old. They were cute. Um, this idea that we don't want to ever uh, criticize them. Let's just, uh, we want to encourage them so much that we praise everything they do. There's a girl on net this year. I exaggerate not. Her teammates tease her in a loving way because she says, paschetti, not spaghetti. And they asked her, why do you still say paschetti? Well, they said, well, my parents thought it was so cute. They didn't wanna, they didn't wanna critique me, make me feel bad. They never corrected me. I went through life saying that. Even though I know the word is spaghetti, I've been saying it for 18 years, so it's still paschetti. And, Maybe she got a grammar trophy from her parents because they didn't want to hurt her feelings. Uh, so the idea is, and I hope I'm not insulting anyone that says Paschetti out there, I make mistakes too. Um, but it gets worse when you start talking about morality. The idea is, well, uh, I want my kid, I mean, eventually they're going to have to make their own moral decisions, so who am I to tell them what's right and wrong? Because what's right for you might be wrong for me, and what's right for me might be, you have to make your own moral decisions. You're your own unique person. The number one issue in the church today with young adults is the homosexuality issue. Uh, you would think that the men and women we accept to net, they understand the church's teaching and they, they are for it. Of course you would think that, right? Because we would tell them you're not accepted if, if you don't believe the church's teaching. Uh, with each passing year, we have to spend more and more time teaching what the church teaches because mom and dad, their pastor, their youth leader, never wanted to encroach upon them. A lot of our young net team members, yeah, I know what the church teaches, but it doesn't make sense. I think the church will change someday. Uh, for the first time in some of their lives, they're being told there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus. There is right and there is wrong. And the problem with this hands-off thing is if we, if we have a hands-off approach, the, the putty is just going to, it's not going to form itself into a Jeep tire or a gas mask. As you can see, within five minutes, we're already starting to form a puddle here. That our children are not big adults in little bodies. They need to be molded and shaped. Now, don't get me wrong, of course we want to encourage them. I'm not suggesting that we just want to drill things into them. There's some other interesting properties of silly putty. Um, it's, it's affected by the weather, like the temperature, so it's cold, so it's not as pliable as it would be as if it was summer, but I could stretch this. Now, if I had some guys help me, we won't do it tonight, but we could probably go around this building several times because it's... But if you pull too hard, it snaps. If you pull too hard, it'll snap, but if you're gentle, this thing will stretch forever. Do you know that if I made this into a nice round ball, which I'm not going to do for sake of time, but I'll give you the idea of it, 
if we were to make this into a perfect sphere and then we were to climb on top of a, a multi-story building and we had this big super ball and we throw this big super ball off the top of the building, do you know that it wouldn't bounce? It would shatter like glass. You can YouTube it tonight, it's worth your time. <laughs> Silly putty off the roof, shatters like glass. Too much pressure, it crashes, it breaks. Uh, I didn't have a high building to try it, so I tried it from the roof of the net center, but gravity from that height, didn't, it didn't get enough momentum or whatever you call it, so it, didn't, it just splatted. But another interesting thing is, if you look, I don't know if you can see this, if you can't, please feel free to stand up. With one finger, I can change the shape of this very easily. Yet if I hit it really hard, it resists. I could hit this all night long and it won't change shape. So of course, we don't want to damage our kids by hitting them. It's not the, the old way of saying, just children should be seen and not heard. Just do what I say. I'm not recommending that. I'm not recommending anything. I'm not the expert. But what we've seen is when we just let kids just be themselves, go your way, decide for yourself. We're not going to let the teachers teach. You just decide what you want to learn. That in the end, we get this. And what does that look like? Some of the dangers we see is kids that grow up in this type of hands-off home tend to think that the world is all about them. Now, we can raise our children with the world wrapped around them, but once they go off to college or get a job or come to serve with NET, and they realize that the world doesn't revolve around me, then they crash. I could tell you stories of 18-year-olds expecting to come on to a NET team, and uh, I, they got everything they ever wanted, and now they come on NET, and they're not the team leader, they're not the music leader, they're not even the, the trailer packer, and they wanted to be the trailer packer, and they don't get what they wanted for the first time in their life. They don't know how to handle that. They've never had disappointment. Uh, when we give them everything they want and let them decide for themselves, we see that they, it reinforces selfishness. You don't have to teach kids how to be selfish. They, they come out of the womb selfish. You remember that time you brought your kids to the um, children's museum, right? And they're playing with something, and then another little kid wants to play with it, and you're hoping that your kid's going to share because that's what you've been trying to... You say, go ahead, Billy, don't you want to share that with the nice little boy? Mine! Mine! And you're like, you're embarrassing me, Billy, please get... Like, and well, Kids don't... They're selfish by nature. And if we let them go on their own course, they're not going to learn virtue. They're not going to learn to be self selfless. It puts a... a it puts a burden on young people when we give them freedom that's not surrounded by truth. When we give them do whatever you want, it damages them. They're not, they're not supposed to have that freedom. Uh, every year there's a few smokers on net. It always kind of surprises me. Um, it's more e-cigarettes today than it was uh, than regular cigarettes, but we still have some traditional smokers. And uh, just last year, I always make it a point to go out and, because there's like a little subculture that develops among the smokers, and I try to visit that subculture at least a couple times throughout training. And there's one girl, 18 years old, uh, beautiful young lady, did well her whole year on net, but she was a smoker, and I, I wasn't judging her. I, I mean, I just was curious, and I said, so-and-so, why do you smoke? Well, when I was 15, I, I started as a way of rebelling, you know, like a lot of 15 kids do, and I was just kind of being sneaky, wanted to be cool. My parents caught me. I was scared, but they told me, we don't think this is good for your health, but it's your decision, 
They didn't let her smoke in the house, but she got to smoke outside in the yard. She didn't have to hide it. And she said, I wish, I wish my parents told me, no, you cannot smoke. I mean, I might have still snuck it, but I probably wouldn't have been smoking as much. I might not be addicted today. This idea of we want our kids to be free, freedom is only free when that freedom is surrounded by truth. And only parents can give it. This silly putty, if I don't contain it, it's going to find itself all over the floor. And if you know, silly putty stuck on carpet is never a good thing. I'm going to move it a little bit so that we don't get sued. When we have a, a, the trophy child what happens is when they go to get a job or they're asked to do some kind of work that they don't want to do, they refuse to do it. You'll always see help wanted signs at fast food restaurants because if a kid doesn't want to do that kind of job, they won't do it. Uh, one of my jobs, I oversee the local outreach, the Lifeline program at NET, and Joe Rouché is our staff member that runs it. And if you've ever been to Lifeline, you know that there's a lot of work that goes behind it. There's 1,500 chairs, 1,000 in the gym, 500 in St. Francis, and there's tables and, and signs, and there's, a lot, there's about three or four hours of work setting up for every Lifeline. And I asked Joe just last week, Joe, how did, how did it go setting up? Dave, I, I can't find half the team. I tell one of the guys, here's your job, and he's very detailed. Here's your checklist. Just do these three things. He doesn't want to do it, so he hides. He goes find someone on staff to talk to. He has to go uh, um, do this thing that really needs to get done. And these are, remember, netters are the ones that made it onto net. We weeded out all the bad ones. <laughs> and these are, the, these are the good kids, but they, they grow up, and mom never made me do this. I never had any chores. I never, I mean, they don't tell us this, but in the conversation, you can kind of feel it out that they never were asked to do work before. And now they came to travel the country and see the world, and I'm not going to set up chairs. <laughs> That's below me. The greatest danger, of course, is if we let our kids just go with the culture, how are they going to get to know the love of Jesus. Uh, let me switch to the other side of the coin, the helicopters. Helicopter parents, it's, uh, it's not my term. It was, I think, 1969 was first used. It made its way into the dictionary in 2011, Webster's Dictionary. You can look up helicopter parents. And the idea is it's, um, it's the opposite, but it's the same. The focus is on the child as the center of the universe, in the center of the family for sure. But it's, uh, oh no. I don't want my son to be a mess, so I am going to control every aspect of their life. Helicopter parents generally, it's, it started out being referring to high school or college age um, kids that parents would do things for them that they should be able to do for themselves, like sign up for classes, um, sign up for a soccer league, pay this bill that they have for their cell phone, that parents know that I, I better do everything for them. Uh, but if a helicopter parent is a helicopter parent of a high schooler, it probably started when they were younger. And in doing a little bit of research on helicopter parents, some of the examples they've given, I'm not suggesting I believe or agree with all of it. Uh, maybe I don't agree with it because it's a little convicting. I don't know. Um, but they say, well, a toddler, a helicopter parent of a toddler or someone, you never let them play by themselves. You're directing all their activities so they can't explore the world around them at all. When they get to elementary school, kindergarten through sixth grade, you pick every one of their teachers because 
What if they get a bad teacher? You pick all of their friends, because what if they have a bad friend? You pick all of their activities, because what if they do a bad activity? That it's, it's not just a little bit of parent prudence, but it's the extreme. You're, you're making all their decisions for them so that they will be the perfect shape. They will be a gas mask, and they're not going to be a Jeep part. You're going to form them into the part that you want. Mayday, mayday. There's, a, there's three main reasons that people tend to helicopter parent. One is uh, fear, fear and anxiety. What if my child doesn't get into the right college? What if my son doesn't get a good job? What if this? And looking at it, it's like, you know, some of the consequences that we try to prevent by helicoptering, those consequences are actually really good teachers. In reality, What's the big deal if my kid doesn't make it onto the varsity team? What are the chances of my kid ever making pro? Is he gonna really get a full scholarship for playing soccer? Probably not. So if he doesn't make it on varsity, is that a big deal? Maybe him not getting on the team is gonna be a better life lesson for him than if mom and dad arrange everything just right so he gets on the team. And again, I'm not trying to say this way is right or that way is wrong. I'm just posing the questions and then our panel of experts will answer all of your questions. <laughs> Sometimes parents helicopter because we're overcompensating. Uh, maybe a parent didn't feel loved or they felt ignored when they were younger and so they want to overcompensate by, by loving and, and it's not, they're not trying to control, they're just trying to love, but that love is really control. I just realized yesterday um, how I overcompensated. It never clicked until I was writing this talk, or actually rewriting, working on the talk that Mark wrote for me. Um, when I was younger, uh, we were lower middle class and didn't have a lot of clothes. And so my parents were really specific about don't get like stains on your clothes because if you get stains on your clothes, we're not going to get you new clothes. Like we were at the bottom of the socioeconomic status. We weren't dirt poor. We had clothes, but not many. And I remember saying, if I, when I get older, I'm going to let my kids get as muddy as they want. I forgot I said that until last week. But when my kids were younger, uh, in our last house, I built a 20 foot by 10 foot mud pit. I took away all the turf, the grass, and I just dug a big pit, filled it with the garden hose so my kids could jump in and get as muddy as they want. Now, I still think that was fun and I would do it again. I didn't realize I was overcompensating. My parents didn't let me get dirty, so I'm going to let my kids get really dirty. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it's uh, my parents didn't pay me any attention, so I'm going to give little Billy all my attention. And the problem with this, we notice a, a decrease in confidence. If mom and dad do everything for me, then the conclusion young people draw is they don't trust me. We have a young girl on net this year. She graduated from Franciscan in May. Uh, Franciscan doesn't have a, a whole lot of financial aid or scholarship, so she took out a lot of loans, $60,000 worth of loans. So when she came on net, she said she called me up, was very responsible, about a month before she was supposed to arrive for net and said, Dave, I'm reading through my loan deferment thing and actually I think I have to have a loan forbearance and I talked to her about those. They need a letter from net saying that I'm serving with you and that I'm not going to make much money, $125 a month, so that I could postpone my loans. Will you send me that letter? I'm like, sure, I do, these. I do like 10, 20 of these every year. No big deal. Send her the letter. Two weeks later, 
So it's two weeks before training, two weeks after she wrote, her dad called. And I didn't know it was her dad right away because I get a lot of calls from a lot of parents asking a lot of questions. And the dad said, oh, my daughter just graduated from Steubenville. Good school. Uh, $60,000 alone. Uh, uh, she was supposed to get a job and this net thing came up. This wasn't part of our plan. It wasn't part of our plan. That she goes on net and now she's trying to defer her loans and I don't know what she needs to do. Can you tell me what she needs to do? So I was pretty happy to tell him what to do. I said, what's your name, sir? He told me. Uh, and I, Who, what's your daughter's name? And he told me. I said, oh, sir, no problem. She called two weeks ago. I, I, she knew the whole process. She asked me for a letter and, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing with that kind of stuff. I, I need you to walk me through this. So I said, well, call your loan institution. And I walked him through all the different steps. He wasn't getting it, but he knew for sure that his daughter wasn't going to get it, even though she did get it. And so he said, well, can you just call the bank for me and tell them what I need to do? Now, normally, 20 years ago, I would try to like, stand up for the young person, right? You know, like, I would be like, well, you know, sir, uh, she is 19, or in this case, she was 21 years old. She's an adult, and I don't even try that anymore. I don't have the energy. So I just, if the parent asks the question, I don't try to convince them to let their kids be adults. I just say, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you, sir, because I'm a little bit lazy in this area, and it's like, just easier for me just to say yes, sir, and do it than to try to convince them that their kid's an adult. When she came to training in August, I could have picked her out of a crowd easily, head down low, no, I mean, lack of confidence written all over her. And the funny thing is, she knew what she was doing, but she didn't realize it because, and I said, hey, I, you got the letter, your dad called me, oh, I know, I know, I don't know how to do these things, my dad tries to cover for me. Like, what are you talking about? You did a great job. And that's one of the things we see is, we're trying to help our kids to have all this confidence, but if we do everything for them, how are they going to grow in confidence? We notice uh, a undeveloped coping skills. If a kid never has to deal with um, getting in trouble because mom and dad are, are making sure that everything's good for them, then what happens when life doesn't go their way? I, it's my job to kick people off net if they have to be kicked off. And maybe one every other year. It's not that much. But a few years ago, I sat down with a guy and I said, you know, Bob, I'll make up the name Bob. Um, we, we gave you verbal warnings. We gave you written letters. Uh, it's not working out. It was an attitude problem. I said, you're done. You have to go home. And he just started tearing up, tearing up, which makes sense. You know, he's sad. Then he just started weeping. And I just played ignorant. And I said, Bob, why are you crying? I, I, I've never, I've never faced anything like this. Like, you never faced anything like what? I, I've never gotten what I wanted. I've never like been kicked off of anything. I said, well, Bob, this is a great lesson. Call me up in a couple years. Tell me how it worked out for you. And I didn't say it that coldly. You know, like I was saying, this is a great lesson. It's not the end of the world. I said, Bob, if you go to get a job, don't put me down as a reference, but uh, I'm not going to call your employer and tell him you got kicked off. Now, this could be a great lesson for you. He did call me in a couple years. Dave, thanks. It was the best thing that ever happened in my life. I realized that the world doesn't revolve around me. Undeveloped life skills. If mom and dad helicopter and do everything for little Billy, how is Billy going to learn anything? Sorry, Bill. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> I'm just getting back at you for the thing. Um, 
and, and doing some reading on it, it's like, well, if a, if a parent helps a three-year-old make their bed, that's not a helicopter. But if a parent makes a 13-year-old's bed, eh, helicopter. We had, uh, at the end of training at WAPA, before we come back here, we have a, like a picnic. The teams have their first day as a team. They make a, their own bag lunch, and they go off with their team and have a picnic. And this one girl is going through the line, making her own sandwich, and she was just so excited. She said, this is the first time I ever made a sandwich in my whole life. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, my mom always, I've never made a sandwich. Now, don't think, oh, dumb netters. No, no, no. Okay, now, don't, this doesn't leave the church. This is an inside thing here. Our mission staff, our supervisors, these are the, the cream of the crop, right? These are the experts. Um, they called me up, the guys. We have two men's houses and two women's houses, and one of the men's houses called me just last year, the year before, I forget which, and they said, Dave, uh, we need to buy a new vacuum cleaner. Our vacuum cleaner doesn't work. And it's, that's not unreasonable, but I just bought that vacuum for them a year before, and it's like one year, and we actually bought a name brand because, you know, buy, my wife taught me, buy a good one, it's gonna last a long time, and it lasted one year, and I went over to look at this. I don't know why, because I can't fix vacuum cleaners, but you know how you feel like, I gotta go look at this thing, and I look, and I said, guys, the bag is full. Six guys, many of whom are college graduates, not one of them knew that you need to change a vacuum cleaner bag. And the, I could go on. Shall I? No, I won't do that because we have things to do. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I, if you, you want to see, you wonder, why do all the net boys have pink underwear? Because mom never told them to separate their reds from their whites when you do laundry. They, they never did their own laundry. So by parents saying, I want to make sure this is done right, let me do it for you, it ends up they don't have life skills. Now, for those of you that are looking okay, let's, let's move on here. We have a half hour, and so what's the solution to all this? We have two solutions. Solution number one is, <laughs> um, I'm not gonna throw them. Okay, I'll throw them, but hold on. So things that you would expect a speaker to say at this point. And the reason I'm not going to say them is because I'm guessing, since none of us are experts, but we're all living community life together, if we put our minds together, what are some of the ideas we would come up with? They're on this sheet. Um, I didn't make this sheet up. I got it from Mark. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course. They're all common sense. They're no-brainers. But it's, it's a, a kind of an accountability thing. So I'm going to hand this sheet out. But the reason I'm not going to go over it is because what I'm hoping for is those practical questions. So not theory like, well, what about this kind of approach to parenting? I heard about the lawnmower parenting. And, and uh, David Bursey the other night, he's in my men's group, he was telling me about submarine parenting. And what about, um, instead of theories, we have uh, the Bilijeskis, the Beckers, and the Jengdals. They didn't know what they were getting into. But we looked at them and like, dang, they're not experts, but they raised some good kids. They're trying. They're schleps like you and I are, right? They, they've messed up. They're not pros, but they're a step ahead of many of us. So we want to ask the, the, really the technical questions. Like, what do you do about this situation? Uh, I make no promises. They make no promises, but it's a kind of a forum. This is where the forum and the family forum comes in. 
So I'm going to pass out these tips, which are many of them can be found in the net or the net, the CCR bundle, but they're kind of parsed out a little bit more. So there's 12 of them instead of six. So I'll pass those out while our panel is coming up. If you can, maybe I'll just pass them out this way because you lose the excitement after one time. So if the panel can come up, we don't have seats that I can find up here unless you want to. Oh, if I can, maybe some choir chairs. Can some people get some choir chairs? And Bill it wants to record the questions and the answers. So I'm going to be that awkward guy that passes you this little microphone is the one that records the questions on the film. So if you could just speak loud enough for people to hear the question, but speak it into this. I'll come around with this. And then our panel will answer back into this. So I'm just going to run, even though we are in church. And if you have a question and you feel like, I feel like a dork if I ask this, it's probably a really good question that a lot of us have, but you're the one that's brave enough to ask it. So really tricky questions, we like them, right? Sure. Okay. So if you have a question, just raise your hand so I can give you the microphone. Okay, I'll do something with that. <laughs> do you have to say do it loud enough? my name or just? Well, you want their names? Sure. sure. <laughs> I'm Renee Velajeski. Can you hear me? Oh, this is for that. Okay, great. Okay, so my question is this. So our toddler, when he gets hurt, more just accidentally, like this isn't just like, you know, face plant hurt, more like if a chair bumps him or something where he wasn't expecting it and then he gets hurt, um, he just immediately, I mean, he like looks around and kind of processes and then just like screams. And again, not this like crying, but just kind of like, I'm mad. Like I just got hurt. And then he just wants to either like hit the chair or whatever, hit something. And um, my husband and I just don't really know kind of how to help him in this. Is it say like, it's okay to get your mat out on the chair, just not people or to just, we try just to be calm and be like, Bobby, we don't scream like that. You know, like trying to pr like help him work through it, but he just gets so upset. So just kind of how to work with anger, especially, I mean, he's only two. So, you know, like this toddler kind of helping him with anger. And then the, in the practical side, do we say like, Okay, if you need to get mad, like you're mad out, if you will. That's so Daniel Tiger. I'm sorry, my whole <laughs> stomp three times. No, but like, do you hit the chair or do we say like, no, you never hit anything? You know, so kind of what's that line in both of those? So, thanks. Bill, this is really awkward. <laughs> We're pleading the fifth because so, it's a grandson. Oh, oh, yeah. So, anyone want to um, take that one? I could say yeah. something, And you can speak into that, too. Okay, I'll hold this. Um, I guess I would just suggest not giving it much attention um, because I think sometimes it can be attention seeking, I got hurt, make a big deal about it. And I think that a lot of times you just walk away and he, he might just stop doing that because it could be an attention thing. Um, anybody else experience with that? <laughs> what about the mad hitting thing? Yeah. I don't know. Have you thought? Oh. <clears throat> have you thought about investing in one of those uh, clown punching bags? I'll say something. Yeah. I mean, I think I would lean toward you know letting him have his expression because I think emotions are something that all kids, as they get older, have to deal with. I think having uh, teaching them how to process those emotions even at a young age the right way 
is probably, you know, a good practice. So if he's angry, I would affirm, you know, a little bit that, you know, you might be disappointed or angry and, you know, these are proper ways of, you know, take a crayon and scribble all those paper, you know, all your anger out or whatever it is, you know, because as they get older, they, you know, emotions are real. I mean, we feel them and, and we do have to process them. So you don't want them to feel like anger is something to be ashamed of or that it's wrong to have those feelings. So. Bill just advised me of our uh, improved technique. You don't need the microphone to ask the question, but whoever answers it, if you could repeat the question into the small one so that people that are listening can hear the question and the answer. Brilliant. Brilliant. Good. Good. I can repeat. Um, yes, you go do it four times. Do I need that thing? Yes. <laughs> That's my job. I have a job. Hold on. It's this one. Yep. That's the key one. <laughs> um, I do have a little bit of wisdom on that. Um, I've had a couple of kids with some temper. One of the things that I would suggest most is, especially at a two-year-old age, helping them to verbalize and express their emotions with words. So he starts to hit things. You say, wow, you look really angry. That must have, that must have hurt a lot. Like helping him to use his words to express I'm angry um, will help down the line. That's my advice. Great. Can you pass that back up there? A great point. It really is. The forum part is I want to add some backup in case people want. But if you have an answer, please just jump right in. That's what That's it's what all about. Yeah, I would, I would say on that area too, just modeling for them what, you, what they might want to do too after they work through that, like everyone's at, just modeling through what what might look good. And I don't know always about two, but especially as they get to get older. I have a question. Um, my question is about activities. So um, activities can be really good children discipline and responsibility and build skills at what age did you start allowing activities and to what limit or did you limit that? Maybe we'll just start. I get to repeat the question. The question was about activities, limiting them, when do you start them, how many is too many? Well for us our overall philosophy is um, if it's good for the family, it's good for the kid, not vice versa. Um, so we started doing things like swimming lessons when many of them can do them together, like around age five, six, seven, eight, so we could glob them into one class or two classes at the same time. So it was easier for mom, who did most of the driving and activity coordinating. And then we would allow them to do one sport a year when they were in grade school and high school until we had Charlie. Charlie, you're on video. Um, because he was he had so much energy that we kind of broke our own rule and let him do more than one sport a year So that was more of a kid by kid thing But we one year we said okay what sport do you want to do and all the boys chose summer baseball It was awesome. We spent Monday through Friday night at the baseball field So it was kind of I mean it kind of backfired, but it was great <laughs> We packed a picnic and had a good time But the philosophy for us was always if this is good for everybody It's going to be good for that kid instead of well so-and-so could be an Olympic diver So we're going to pour all of our energy. That was my brother. They they were trying to at age three four He could have been an Olympic started training and my parents said no we have eight kids 
So not doing that. So, you know, you have to make a choice. That's kind of an extreme example. But do you guys have any other things to say? And we chose to go with music and not some of the other things because that's our, that's our thing. So I think every family has a thing. <laughs> okay, John's a good audience. Anyway. <laughs> evaluating activities is um, one of um, the things that I really wanted to work on with our kids is that they had hobbies more than activities and I think um, those are lifelong things that they learn to explore and do so I would say rather than really trying to find things that they activities can be a good way to learn more about what you're interested in but they can be kind of a launching pad to like other things that maybe they could explore more. I just I think it's better for kids to learn to find ways to occupy their time by themselves without being like I have to go to something to be you know to have something to do. So um, I don't know. Maybe Steve can speak to this, but I think one of the things that really helped us with that was um, not having a TV in our family. Like we've never had one, and um, the hobbies really came as a result of that because they're just. You know, that, it's an unintended consequence, really. We didn't plan it that way. We just aren't TV people, and Steve doesn't watch a lot of sports. So we just, um, but over the years, they grew a lot of hobbies because of that. You know, they, they learned to find things to, to do, so. We also found that instead of watching TV, they did a lot of reading. And I know that our kids probably read 30 books a year or so. Older kids. It, it also led to less arguments in that area because if they wanted to watch this game instead of do their homework then that could evolve into an argument so uh, just not watching the TV was a great example for them also for the parent to not watch the TV you have to be willing to make that same choice because if they look to the parent and the parents watching a lot of sports or whatever uh, you'll be seen as a hypocrite I don't think we ever developed a exact rule on it, but we guarded our family dinner time. A hundred percent. What'd you say? They're both microphones. Yeah. So I'm. Why well, I talked talk to both? Oh, talked to both of them. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, but the one thing that we really felt like the Lord called us to, especially when we started having kids, and was that we would our dinner hour had to be um, guarded. And um, I think when the older kids were little, we tried soccer in the summer, but the running, it was, it was not peaceful for the family. And so we just nicked some of those things. And then on occasion, somebody had an interest in something, so we would try it. But um, again, we were hoping for more, okay, let's go outside and play. I grew up going outside and play. We ran over the neighborhood, you know, across the neighborhood. We played kick the can. We did a lot of those things. And because we had a large family, a lot of the neighborhood kids found their way to our yard. And there was a lot more of that kind of activity play. And so you learn how to get along. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be an organized sport. That's really new, really, in the last 20 years, this organization of sports and the demands of our kids' time. So that was just one thing that we did. And I'm super grateful because um, the kids weren't running and, it, and life didn't resolve, revolve around them. And it was really clear that the family came first. So.
thing they're not looking forward to their whole life. Um, so that it's a battle every week to get them to do something. And an extension of that, as they're learning to do chores and get better at keeping their room clean or picking up their toys or whatever, how to give up the control aspect of what your home looks like, especially with other people coming over. <laughs> Lowering your expectations. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. Um, in the mic, both mics. Thank you. Uh, the question was, um, what? Uh, how to motivate uh, your child uh, or children um, to do chores and but also more of as you get them to do chores uh, whether or not it's a battle or a choice but you know when you let let go later on um, and being okay with how the house may appear or being okay that it's not perfect I chuckle because <clears throat> Uh, our home, uh, we have this uh, light cream carpet, and um, I had uh, a guest coming over last night, and beforehand, uh, I was uh, with a bucket of water and a rag scrubbing the marks from spilled pop or spilled drink or somebody walking with their shoes or whatever and I'm sure it was my children and uh, you know there was this kind of color crayon thing or whatever but I was going through this thing because of the fact that I had this guest coming over and I I didn't want them to think that you know whatever it was like why am I doing this it doesn't really matter <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we have 10 kids they make messes, and, and that's what it is. But uh, as far as doing the chores, um, I, it, Kathy instituted um, kind of writing down a list. Um, we kind of give them uh, a little allowance um, for a particular chore. Each of them has theirs, and it's obviously age appropriate. Um, I, I don't recall if it was as difficult with our oldest uh, children, but I think uh, Kathy and I in a unique position with 10, we had five who are older, so our, the fifth child would be J John Paul, who's uh, you know a senior this year. The rest are older. Joseph just got married to a great family. <laughs> and uh, um, and then our, our Cece starts down, and so Cece's ninth grade down to little Mary, who's four. And so it's, it's kind of like two separate families. So it, it's kind of like we're, we're starting all over again in a certain sense and trying to set the proper expectations. And sometimes I do okay because I have this side of me that's kind of perfectionistic and it's like you know I'd, I'd like it done a certain way but 
there's a point in life where it's just like you just you got to be okay with it you know it's but at the same time you want to teach them you know that it's important to do a good job right to you know because later on that's what it's about doing the good job all right I'm babbling So four of my children are here, <laughs> and I believe they were all present at this little incident. Um, so at one uh, dinner... No, no, go backtrack. Why? Oh! Give the backstory. The most common reason we got for not doing chores was I forgot. You know, I forgot that it was my day, or I forgot to do it, and I got carried away doing something else. And so we came to dinner, and the kids sat down, and there was no food on the table. <laughs> and they said, what's for, what's, what's for dinner? And Ann said, oh, I forgot. <laughs> It was brilliant. It, 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 it's a one-time thing, but it really had, I hope it had an impact. <laughs> but um, part of it is just teaching consequences. Um, and that was a life lesson for some of my kids. I hope they remember it. <laughs> um, but just some of the consequences of, okay, you don't do your chores, you don't get to do this. Um, was one simple thing that we've always done. I will say it's really important to set the expectations realistically, like what can a four-year-old do and do well and have some success at. Like Dave said, we don't want to be praising every breath that they take, but it is really important to say, you know, wow, you are really improving on when you're emptying those garbages, there's less garbage on the floor, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you know, or, um, or when, you, when you clean the bathroom, I can really tell that the sink is sparkly and you left left suds. I mean, you just, I think it's just in small increments, right? We would change the chart chart kind of liturgically, so Advent, Lent, Summer, Fall, you know, kind of this way, so that it wasn't always the same thing. David wants to say something. Oh, we have a... <laughs> <laughs> the chore chart. It's just a chart. It has everyone's name six days a week and what every day they're responsible for. So everyone in our family has a zone that they're responsible for. So someone's on the living room, someone's on the family room, whatever. And they have to do that every week and they have to take care of it during the week too. That's their responsibility. And you know what happens is I remember Charlie the first time he washed the kitchen floor, he was maybe 10 or 11. He was proud as a peacock about that floor, and someone came in and spilled orange juice. He was so mad. He, he, learned, he, he took a lot of pride in the fact that he had washed this floor, and then someone spilled, and he was upset about it. So like, that's how we feel as moms, right? You know, it's like this revolving door of cleaning. But anyway, I just think it's good for them to take some pride in their work and to be honored for that. But rotating the chores helps, too, so it doesn't get to be the same old, same old. I don't know. I don't know how you motivate. We just make them do it. And part of it, too, is saying this is what we do as a family. We care for the home. This is our home. So mom and dad are expecting this of you. It's an expectation. So... On my way over, they'll say, uh, make sure you teach them how to do it before you expect them to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So something we learned is chores can seem really overwhelming. Like I'm gonna, something we hear in our house is like, mom, you make it sound like it's gonna take hours. You know, and that was a big negative in the kids and it decreased motivation and willingness to work. And so two things we've done is we'll say, I allow the house to get messy during the day and we'll say like at lunch, okay? Dishes, you know, if I couldn't get to, if we didn't do dishes this morning, it was okay. You know, and they sat on the counter, it was okay. And then at lunch we say, okay, everybody take a zone, like you said, you know, we just say take a room, spread out, timer's going for 20 minutes. Let's see how much we can do. And everybody spreads out and you'll be amazed at how much can get done in 20 minutes. And, and we pretty much can accomplish whatever we're after. And it just really decreases the overwhelmedness of cleaning up and um, it increases the motivation and the fun of cleaning up. One more question. One more question. Justin. Justin. How do you force your kids to eat? <laughs> That's a good question. A big funnel. Um, well, this is what we've done and kind of learned through the years. One is we, they only eat what we eat. We don't give options of individual food at the dinner hour. Um, but two pitfalls. One is drinking a lot. Um, I've had kids, especially when they're little, drink lots of milk or drink and then they get to dinner and they're not as hungry and or snacking prior to the meal so I, I found that if we cut off you know no more snacks after three or whatever we eat dinner at six so no more snacking and then drinking if that's a if you notice they're drinking a lot um, cut that off but our rule is always you don't eat the food there's no dessert and you get nothing else this night so there's no oh it's nine o'clock and they're starving and then you give them a pamper and jelly sandwich we just there's no more food that night. So we don't, I mean, we have a, a four-year-old that takes forever to eat her food, but she's motivated by, oh, I might get a cookie. So it's, uh, maybe we're not really helping her because we let it take forever. <laughs> but then sometimes we're like, okay, you have five minutes to finish that. And if you're not done, you're done. There's no more. And um, so sometimes just to get the little snack after, you know, the treat afterwards. But um, I don't know if it helps to try and force them, you know, like, but if you just say there's no more food then for the night, then they have to kind of be hungry. So, anybody else? Uh, we did have the habit of um, taking their plate and setting it aside for their breakfast. Um. It was gross. <laughs> it was gross. But it was a practical thing. <laughs> True confessions. The last thing is just having the kids help make some of the food. I mean, they get really into eating stuff that they felt like they contributed to in some way. So even if they just dumped in a couple of the last ingredients, I don't know, depending on what they're interested in. But then they can say, we're all going to eat the dinner you made, you know. So 
Thanks. Can we give a hand to our panel of experts? <laughs> a couple closing thoughts. So, especially after Linda and I started having kids and we want to raise them to be saints, I would find those netters and those that did well, like those that really seemed to have it together. They were growing in virtue, they loved Jesus, they were obedient, and I would just blatantly ask them, what did your parents do well? What do you wish your parents didn't do? And I would just grill them, and I still do to this day, because um, as our kids get older, they're getting closer to netter age, and I, I ask them about their parenting, their parents, what they did just last year or the year before. What I find very reassuring is the things that are on those sheets that I handed out that are things that the community has taught uh, for the past 30 years, those are the same answers that the netters who never were in community gave. And some of the, you heard glimpses of it up here. Some of it was uh, family meal time. That a bunch of the netters that seemed to, just my subjective, non-scientific survey of this person's really sharp. I want to know what their parents did. They say, you know, Sports, I loved sports, but if sports interrupted with mealtime, I, I couldn't do that sport. And as one of our panelists mentioned, I forget who said it, but it's a, I think it was um, Ling, uh, this whole organized activity thing is relatively new. Uh, when you look 50, 60 years ago, it was the norm that families would have a meal together. And that's where you would talk about things that are going to matter in 40, 50, 60, 70 years when you're dead. Uh, Virtue, fortitude, temperance, justice, you know, the, the four cardinal virtues, the theological virtues. These kind of conversations happen over a meal. You know, oh, if you don't make the team, again, okay, well, what's the chances of that kid making the Olympic team? Probably not that great. And in the case where maybe they could have been an Olympic diver, is that going to get them into heaven? No. Is it good for our family? No. Then you're not going to do that. The peer pressure from the culture is so intense. And we can feel like, oh, if my kid doesn't do this and all the other kids are, what's going to happen to them? Well, they might become a saint. <laughs> and isn't that what matters? <laughs> and I know Linda and I, as we're, we're looking at high schools, our oldest is just getting to that age where he's going to be a freshman next year. And like, ah, oh, there's this, we put it on ourselves, this pressure, we want what's best for them. Sometimes thinking what's best is what the culture says is best. But no, what's best for them is heaven. And we're convinced that the bundle um, expanded into those 12 steps are really helpful. So please do take time and maybe in a husband-wife meeting, just go over them and say, how do we do on this? There are some things on that list that I'm like, oh, we got to start doing that better. Um, but there's some things that are like, oh, yeah, we're pretty good at that. So it could be a little pat on the back and a little bit of a, a kick in the butt for some of us. Let's end in a prayer and grab a glass of wine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you for the children you've trusted us with. And again, we surrender them to you, Lord. They're your children. You love them more than we ever could. Help us not to uh, give them free reign to the point where they're um, feeling like they're the center of the universe. At the same time, help us not to helicopter over them so closely that they can't make mistakes. Help us instead to help them to grow in virtue, to be women and men who know you, who love you, and who want to serve you. Help us to keep things in perspective, that eternity is what matters. And 
and the mess on the floor or the, the D on the report card, those things aren't going to matter in eternity. Help us to become saints and to raise saints. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again. God bless.